Joshua chapter 6 kind of ties into uh, the football game, right? A lot of people are watching the 49ers game, California team, trying to go to the Super Bowl. If you're watching on your phone during the evening service, Clark, don't tell me the score. I'm recording it. So uh, that's a battle. People staying home to watch the battle. Well, this chapter is about a big battle. Um, a battle that God had planned for him, and that's the first lesson right off the bat. It's God's chosen people, and he says, I've given you the victory. I want you to move into the promised land. I've had people prepare the ground for you, the land. They built the walls. They planted the crops. They built the wells. It's a good land to move into, and now that it's good and prepared, I'm going to let you move in. I've already given you the victory. Let's start by going to battle the Jericho. So first lesson right off the bat is just because you're a chosen person of God does not mean he's going to keep you out of battles, right? It does not mean you will live a battle-free life. You will have battles. The good news is the battle is the Lord's. You're on Team Jesus. So no matter who wins the 49ers game, I win tonight because I'm on Team Jesus and he always wins. Amen? Amen. All right. So Joshua chapter 6, I'll read it to you. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do for six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Then Joshua said, Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was, when Joshua had spoken to the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout! Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around at once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early around about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. 
Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who'd spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at the time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. Amen. So, old story. Long ago, we need to figure out how this can be a benefit to our walk with the Lord. So, God's kind of funny, right? I don't know if you know this, but God has a sense of humor. Like at church, we shouldn't be afraid to laugh or have a good time. We're supposed to be having a good time at church. Yes, be respectful, especially when the Word of God is being read. But we're here to have a good time. It shouldn't be like a morgue. It shouldn't be a sad place. It should be a great place where we get to come and honor and praise and worship our Savior who died for us and His Father, God, whose planet was. But God's kind of funny. When you read through the Bible, He's cool with having a good time. He's cool with jokes. Matter of fact, He's cool with doing crazy stuff. So, right here, He says, I've given you the victory, but I want you to go march around the city once per day in total silence. Then the seventh day, go and march around it six times in silence, and then the seventh time you march around it, we're going to blow some trumpets, we're going to let out this great shout, and then the walls will fall down, and you're going to destroy the city. I mean, if you're leading a military battle, that doesn't sound like a very good plan, right? But God's totally cool with it. He's totally fine with doing crazy. And by the way, He doesn't like it when you don't trust Him. If you go back to Exodus chapter 4, I believe it is, God calls Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to talk to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, Ah, God, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm not very good at speaking. And God, of course, he knows all. He says, Moses, I made you. 
I made your mouth, I made your tongue, I made your brain. You don't think I know that you're not good at speaking? I made you just the way you are. You're unique and wonderfully made, and I've chosen you to go speak. So go. And Moses said, no, nah, I don't, I don't, I'm not good at it. And in verse 14 in that chapter, it says, the Lord's anger was aroused. He was not happy that he told Moses to do something. He said, look, I know everything about you, Moses. I know you struggle with this, and I'm calling you to go anyway. I will tell you what to say. I will be with you. I will control your tongue. Just trust me. And Moses didn't trust him, and that made God angry. When the Lord tells you to do something, he wants you to trust him. If you go on further uh, to the book of Numbers chapter 14, Moses already led the people out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They should have been going in the promised land, but it says in Numbers 14, they're not going into the promised land. Not that generation. He said, look at all these signs and mighty wonders I've done right before your eyes, and yet you still don't believe me. You still reject me. You still don't trust me. He said, you guys ain't going into the promised land. If you can't even believe a God who's demonstrated his godliness right before your very eyes, part in the Red Sea. Having water flow out of a rock. Having birds fall from the sky for food every single day. Having their sandals last for 40 years. Their clothes not wearing out. All this magnificent stuff. Having a cloud over their heads during the day to give them shade. Having a pillar of fire go before them at night. Like God's thinking, man, have I not done enough to show you I'm God. I got supernatural power. I control everything. You were also in Egypt when I did all the plagues put on the Egyptians, when I turned uh, the river into blood. You know, when I did the plague of the locusts and the frogs and all this other stuff, you saw me control everything, and yet you won't trust me? Because I had, had enough of that. He's not cool with that. So I warn you with that, because if God asks you to do something crazy, he's, he's challenging you. Do you trust him? So there's two reasons God might ask you to do something crazy. What well, what would those two reasons be? I already gave you one answer. Test yeah, test you. See how much you trust him. You say you trust him, but what about when he asks you to do something crazy? If he asks you to go get a job and make money to provide for your family, that doesn't take a whole lot of trust. Like, well, that actually makes sense. What if he asks you to do something crazy? Would you do it? Or would your brain overrule your faith? Your brain says, that's nuts. Right? But your faith in God should overrule that and say, it is nuts, but God, I don't know what God's plan is, but he's always right and I trust and I'm not going to do it anyway. What's the second reason he might uh, ask you to do crazy stuff? For example, the whole army of Israel was afraid to fight Goliath the giant. And, he's, and then David comes up. He says, I'll fight him. And so I was like, here, take, take my armor. He says, no, we'll take my, my weapon, my sword. No, I'm going to take this sling and some stones. And I'm going to go fight that giant. And everyone else is like, you're crazy. God's totally cool with it. Why? God's in control. And what happened, would happen if God's army had some giant soldier who was bigger than Goliath and more skilled than Goliath and stronger than Goliath, and that man went out and fought Goliath and killed him. Who gets the glory in that? God. Well, that man, well, if there was some giant man who was just more skilled, that man's going to get the glory. But when he picks the weak, when he picks the fools to confound the wise, when he picks these random crazy ways to win a battle, who gets the glory? 
Only God can get the glory when a bunch of people march around the city in silence, then they shout and the city falls down and they win the battle. <laughs> That's, there's no man getting glory in that. So a lot of times he'll ask you to do something crazy so that all the glory points back to him. Matter of fact, there's a verse that says, God is a jealous God and he will share, share his glory with nobody. Matter of fact, that's one of the verses that the Jews used to uh, say that Jesus wasn't God because they don't believe God has a son, even though it says multiple places in the Bible. In the Old Testament, in their scriptures, it says God has a son. But they don't believe God has a son because that verse, in their eyes, that means God would have to share his glory with his son. They don't understand the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, and it's three in one. And so they believe God would have to share his glory, and they say God's not cool with that. Nevertheless, the point is, God wants to get the glory. So when little old David goes out with a sling, he was no match for that mighty warrior. So when he wins the battle, clearly God made that happen. When these guys march around the city and the walls fall down, clearly God made that happen. So two reasons God will ask you to do something crazy. Number one, to test your faith. And number two, so he gets the glory. Right? So if he asks you to do something crazy, you might not want to doubt it. And uh, so when I studied and put this together, uh, you know, reading up on other commentators, one guy told a story about a man who was... Uh, a man of the world, and he went to a football game, and he's drinking, like most people do at a football game, and uh, team scores a touchdown, and so they're watching over there for the extra point, and he sees this guy stand up in a clown suit holding up a sign saying Romans 10, 9, and 10. <laughs> and the guy thought, why is that man holding up a Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 sign? It's the stupidest thing we've ever seen. We're at a football game. He's not dressed like a 49er. He's not dressed like a Packer. He's dressed like a clown, and he's holding up a Bible verse sign at a football game. Something must be going on. And he told his son, who was at the game with him, when they got home, he said, we better find a Bible. And he said it took him about 20 minutes to find a Bible in the garage. They pulled it out. They opened it to Romans 10, 9. The dad read it, and he got saved instantly. The moment he read it, he believed and was saved. And the point of this story was, now if God told you to go to a football game and dress up like a clown and hold up a sign, would you think that was a pretty good idea? Or you say, God, that sounds stupid. I don't think so. Clark would do it. <laughs> That's the problem, though. Clark would do it without God's prompting. <laughs> you, don't go out doing crazy stuff just because you feel like that's a good idea. That's just crazy. But when God prompts you to do it, now that's a different story. If God prompts you to do something crazy, then God's doing something. If you just have ideas of doing crazy stuff because you like it, well, that's on you. <laughs> but the point is, if God prompts you to do something crazy, like go talk to that stranger. Go send a text message to your old friend who's now an enemy. Go do this or that. So that sounds crazy. Go, go up to that person in the grocery store and ask them if you can pray for them. Now, that's one of the common ones I hear a lot is God might prompt you to pray for somebody, but you're like, I don't even know this guy. I don't know this lady. And it's weird to do it in public, and they might not even believe in God. This just does not sound like a good plan, God. I don't think I'm going to go up and ask them if they want me to pray for them. But the point is, if God prompts you to do something that makes you uncomfortable or see bizarre... He might just be about to do something great. Matter of fact, if they hadn't marched around the city in silence, 
for six days and then done it again the seventh day, they would have said, no, God, that's a dumb plan. Matter of fact, we're marching around. They might be shooting arrows at us from the walls. They might be throwing spears at us. We might die. If they wouldn't have done what God said, God would not have given them the victory. Matter of fact, if you go on the chapters after, they disobeyed God and He did not give them the victory. He blesses obedience. Point is, if God prompts you to do something that seems crazy and you don't do it, you might be thwarting the power of God. So a common one that happens at churches is a, a preacher will prepare a message all week, right? Pastor West can probably talk on this. And you do all this studying and research and preparation, then about 15, 20 minutes for time for the sermon, God prompts you to preach on something totally different. <laughs> and, and Pastor West would probably be like, no, 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 no. I haven't, I haven't even read that chapter in like a year. I haven't prepared anything for that. I'm not ready to preach on that. I'll fall flat on my face. There's 150 people here. It's not going to go well. I'm not prepared. I'm prepared for this one. This one's going to go great, God. But God was with him in the one he's prompting him to be. And if Pastor West would shut that down and say, no, 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 I know you're telling me to preach on that, but I'm going to preach on this one I work on. Now, God's not with that message that day. doesn't mean it can't produce blessings, but the point is he's trying to move. He's prompting you to do something, but it's going to make you uncomfortable might make you uncomfortable to preach on something you haven't prepared on. But when you step out in faith and do it, that's when he really opens up the blessing and the power of God. You know what I'm talking about, Wes? Yeah, well, I never got 15 minutes, maybe an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, why didn't you tell me this three days ago? Right? Yeah. So anyway, the point is you might come across that at some point in your life. And uh, when God's prompting you and it feels strange and bizarre but you know that it's not of yourself, and you try and say, oh, that's, I don't know why I'm thinking weird, and he just keeps pushing you, you might want to respond to it and see uh, how the power of God might work. Amen? Next up. God promised them a victory. Remember verse 2? The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. And then the next thing he says is, you shall march around the city. All you men of war go around the city once. This you shall do for six days. So he says, look, I'm giving you the victory, but now you got to show up and do something. And so that's the next lesson. God promises a lot of stuff to us, but he doesn't expect us just to sit back and do nothing. we got to show up and march. He said, Israelites, I've given you the victory. Now get out there and do your part and show up and march. And so, you know, there's a lot of promises of God, but he expects something from us. And so Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. And he's talking like, I'm ready to open, but you got to knock. I'm ready to let you find me, but you got to seek me. I'm ready to give, but you got to ask. I'm right there ready. Just do your part. And he talks about the, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And he said, look, look, even the birds of the air, I mean, compared to you, they mean nothing to me. I mean, they're just birds. You humans were created in my image. Like you guys out of all creation, you guys are the special ones. 
He said, but even these birds that don't mean nothing compared to you. Don't I take care of them? I feed them every day. They got their food. You don't see birds starving to death. And they don't mean as much to me as you do. Of course, I'm going to want to take care of you. But consider those birds. God promises that he will feed them, right? So do they just sit in their nests all day, every day, with their mouths pointed open to heaven, waiting for God to drop that food in? No. No, what do they do? They do their part, and they go out and look. And when they look, they find it. God promised to feed them, but they got to get out of that nest and do their part and go find that food. And when they do their part, the blessing is there. And so another, another lesson for us, God, we talk about the promises of God at church a lot, but you need to do your part. Show up a march, just like these guys did right here. And so uh, on that note, you know, going back to the prayer, ask and it will be given, seek and you'll find, knock and it will be opened. You know, God already, he says he knows our hearts. He says he knows what we want before we even ask. But he wants us to ask. Remember in James chapter 2, I believe it is, he says, you have not because you ask not. He goes on to say, and sometimes when you ask, you ask for the wrong reasons. But first of all, you don't even ask me. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given. What if uh, a lot of blessings in our life depended on how much we actually ask God? You know, what if there's a lot of blessings in our lives that we haven't had poured out on us that God had planned for us, but he hasn't given them to us because we never asked? You know, it just uh, came to my attention today while I was teaching my son. We're talking about broken bones and whatever, and he said, you know, I've never broken a bone. And I thought, that's funny. I pray over you very, very, very often that God protect you and keep you physically healthy, spiritually pure, emotionally innocent, that God has a plan for you, a blessing that he encourages your heart, gives you desire to serve him. And I pray these blessings over him, but I always pray that God put a hedge of protector, protection around his physical well-being. And then he tells me, hey, I haven't had a broken bone my whole life. And I thought, man, that's funny. That's actually one thing I pray for. Not specifically broken bones, but I pray for good health, and he's always had it. Matter of fact, I pray that over all three of my children. I don't think one of my kids has ever broken a bone, have they? And so that was like a sign to me, like, man, I don't, maybe I don't even take notice when God answers prayers. I need to pay attention a little bit more. So just a point. I mean, three kids, no broken bones, no serious injuries, and I pray and ask God to keep them physically healthy. He might be doing something there. I've asked and he gave. Amen? Who knows what would have happened if I never asked. Maybe they'd get injured like the rest of the kids. But I've been asking and he's been giving. Point is, we need to ask God. Amen? What if our child's future depended on it? You know, see Erica, and I know she's got Avery and Cameron unmarried, right? <laughs> Are you praying that God raises up godly spouses for them? Now, Avery, I know it's kind of... Seems like she might already have one on the way. But the uh, point is, you know, for Sarah and I, we need to be praying that God raise up a godly man for my daughter and godly women for my sons. Amen. I don't want them just to marry anybody, and I'm, I'm not going to leave it to chance. Why not ask God to raise up godly children for them to be future spouses with? Why not ask? You don't think he wants to bless me with that? Perhaps, perhaps I have not because I ask not. Well, then I'm going to ask. And I'm going to ask God to give me godly sons-in-law and daughters-in-law, right? 
what hurt? What does it hurt to ask? It doesn't hurt anything. He's a good God. He's in control of all. He wants to bless me. And he just says, ask me. Well, okay, then I better start asking. Amen? So, we need to pray. We need to act. We need to show up in faith. We need to show up in March and do our part. Next up. Verse 21. So we know what happens. Like we read the story, right? God wins. The city falls down. The Israelites go in. And if you read previous verses, it says that God will basically make them go crazy. So he makes the city fall down, but they still... It's a tiny army of Israelites versus a giant fortified city of trained soldiers. Remember, these Israelites were in Egypt. They were slaves, and then they go in the wilderness, and it's not like, you know, they're practicing military techniques. They're just trying to survive on the way to the promised land, and here this ragtag group of people is going to fight this fortified city and army of the people of Jericho, and yet they go in, and God says, look, don't worry, when the city walls fall down, I'll make them go crazy. They'll turn on their fellow neighbor. They'll turn their backs on you when you're about to fight them. They'll turn their backs so it's easy to win. And you read through the scriptures, it says not a man was lost. <coughs> God protected them, which is a miracle right there. But in verse 21, And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man, woman, young, old, ox, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. You okay with that? Every man, every woman, every child, every animal. Are you okay with your God slaughtering these people? Does that mean God's racist? You sure? He's, he's wiping out all these people from Jericho. How do you know he's not racist? How do you know he just doesn't like the race of whatever the people from Jericho are? He slaughters them all. The Israelites get to live and all the people from Jericho get to die. Maybe God's racist. How do you know he's not from this chapter? That's true. But from an outsider's perspective, they say, look, your God, who wants to serve this God? He just wipes out a whole, a whole race of people, a whole group of people. That's right. He didn't wipe out all of them. A small group of people, Jericho got saved, Rahab and her family. So clearly he's not racist. He saved some people from that race. He saved the ones who actually trusted in the one true God. Those people got saved. So it had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with spirituality. He allowed them to be wiped out because they served false gods. And you say, well, that's a little harsh, isn't it? No, it's not. Because the number one thing God cares about the most is your relationship with him. And he will do whatever it takes to keep your relationship with him pure and holy. And he's not okay with anything that comes between you and your relationship with God. And he says, if I allow these people to live and you move in, your children are going to start marrying their children. And then those women are going to bring in their gods into your family. And you're going to start practicing the practices and traditions and customs of these people. And you're going to intermingle. And eventually some of your children are going to serve the wrong gods. And they will end up in hell. Matter of fact, that's actually what happens as you move forward in the stories. But God's not cool with that. And he says, I'll do whatever it takes. And I will set up this city to be pure. And by the way, they all worship false gods. The one who 
turns to the one true God, he saves them. He's cool with that. But it's not a race thing. It's a spiritual thing. And we're all due judgment. They got their judgment by the Israelites. When it's their time for judgment, it's their time. When it's our time for judgment, it's our time. Right? So they got their judgment. It just happened to be the time that God chose. And he's using the Israelites to bring that judgment for their sin. The wages of sin is death. And they had sinned. And here comes death. And the only way to be saved from that is to choose God and his son, Jesus the Christ. Amen? And when one person chooses God, he says, all right, I'm saving that person. But the rest of them, they're in trouble. So God's not racist. Verse 23. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brother, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp. Now, if you know the story of Joshua, where was Rahab's house? It was on the wall. And what fell down? All the walls. But after the walls fall down, he said, go in to where she lives and get all the people out. Now, how's that happen? If all the walls fell down, how's her house left standing? Because God knows where his children are. And he can do whatever he wants. He can make the whole wall fall down and every house inside it. And that one group that's his children and his people that worship him and serve him. Well, he can protect them if he wants to. And he does. He always knows where his children are. So that should give us great faith and confidence. It doesn't matter what's going, around, going on around us. We have a great blessing knowing but we belong to God. Now there might be calamity coming. And you don't know what to do. And maybe I don't either, but I know that I'm a child of the king, the king of all kings. I'm a child of God who created the heavens and the earth, and he's the one allowing this calamity. He can save me and spare me if he wants. And guess what? I also have his ear. I'm able to ask. Well, father doesn't want to listen to his child and hear what they need, hear their requests. Amen. So we got great blessings being in the family of God. Next up, verse 25. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. Now notice he still calls her harlot. She believes in God. He saves her. Not only in terms of salvation, but also in terms of physically spares her from death. And he still calls her the prostitute, the harlot. Because God does not ignore our sin. He saves us where we're at. Amen? Amen? He, didn't, he didn't start calling her by a different name. He didn't call her Saint Rahab or anything like that. Now the truth is, she doesn't. Anybody who gets saved is one of the saints. But he calls her what she is. And he knows what I am. And we don't have to get holier and pure to be saved. Rahab the harlot got saved while she was still a harlot. Now then, after that, she's supposed to change her ways and try to serve God in a holy and pure way. But nevertheless, God knows who she is and what she is and where, where she came from. And he knows all of our sins as well. And he'll say it was right where we're at. And perhaps the, uh, the last thing I got for you, verse 26. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man. Before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn. And with his youngest, he shall set up its gates. In other words, 
Anybody who tries to rebuild this city, it's going to cost you the lives of your children. If you're the one who tries to rebuild it, I'm taking the lives of your children. There will be consequences. I want nobody to rebuild this city ever. I made it fall down, and I want it to stay that way. Why? Yeah. Well, he wants the people, the Israelites, to remember what happened, right? We take communion, right? And there's no magical powers in the bread or in the juice. It's just to remind us of the sacrifice that the Son of God made so that we never forget. And so he said, I want, when you're living in the promised land, I want you to pass by this city that I made the walls fall down because I want you to never forget my mighty power and how I went before you and I gave you the victory and I did it through a miraculous way because I am the almighty God. Don't forget who I am. Don't forget my power. Don't forget how I fight for you. I want you to never forget. But there's a second reason. It's not just for the people who were there to remember. And it's not just for the children of the people who were there to walk by and say what happened. It's also for the outsiders to walk by and say, what happened here? And then you get a chance to give the testimony that this is where my God stepped in with his mighty power and made the walls of this city fall down and gave us the victory. It's right here. You could say it didn't happen, but look, you could see the walls fell down. Say it didn't happen. It's right here. Say my God's not real. How else did this happen? Go ask Rahab. Her, she was from there. They want it to be a testimony, and that's another lesson for us for our lives, right? We should live in a way that people take notice, and they ask us, hey, What's going on here? And then we could direct them to the almighty power of God. Just like Jericho is to point them to God and his glory and give him glory for his mighty power and awesome works and all that he can do and will do and has done. Well, our lives are supposed to be the same thing. We're supposed to live in a way that people take notice and say, what happened here? What's going on with you? And then we get a chance to tell them, let me tell you what my God's been doing in my life. To give him the glory and guide people to him. That is our number one goal on this planet is to give glory to God. I mean, we're supposed to get saved, but we're to give glory to God. Well, how can we live in a way that we give glory to God? And so there's, there's at least one time in my life, and I, heck, I might have told this story last time I was here on Joshua chapter 4. But... Uh, I wish there was more moments. Maybe there are. But the one that comes to mind where someone took notice of my life was when I had brain surgery and my face was broken and didn't work on one side. And this guy who's probably worth $30 million, who was a friend of mine, took me to lunch and said, I thought he was like trying to have pity on me and take me to lunch and make me feel better. And we get there and he goes, I got to ask you something. I go, okay, what? He goes, why are you happier than I am? I've got all the money I could ever want. And you have no money, and your health is horrible, and you're happier than I am. Why? I don't like that I try so hard in my life, and I do this, and I do that, and I try to conquer, and I try to win, and I've got all the money I ever need, and I can pay for this and that, but I can't buy the happiness you have. Why do you have it and I don't? 
And so I got a chance to tell them about my God and my Savior. And I wish there was more moments like that where people took notice of something different in me and I got to direct them towards my God. But that's how it's supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live in a way that people take notice and they say, why are you so happy? Why are you so full of joy? Why are you different? Why when people are mean to you, do you just act with love? Why when they're jerks, do you not let it bother you? Why don't you cheat on your taxes a little bit like the rest of us do? Keep some of that money for yourself. Why do you give your money to the church instead of keeping it for yourself? Why do you act like this? Why do you give money to the poor? Why do you give it to the needy? Why are you buying these homeless people food? Why do you act like that? Hopefully we live in a way where people take notice that we are different. And the reason is Christ. I hope that we live so much like Christ that we look different from the world so people take notice and ask us why. And when they ask us why, then we get to direct them towards Jesus. He's why. There should be testimonies, right? He doesn't want people to forget. He doesn't want you to forget. He wants you to live in a certain way that you can direct glory to him. Why am I happier than you? I don't know, but I know no matter what's going on with my face and my health, dude, I've got eternity in heaven forever in perfection, guaranteed. I'm pretty happy about that. This life may be rough, but woo, I'm really happy about what I got coming. I'm really happy about that. What, why, do you not have that? Oh, I don't believe in God. Well, hey, that might be the beginning of your problem. You've tried without God, and look where you're at. You, could, you can't buy what I have. Maybe you ought to try something different. Maybe you think God's fake, but maybe you know the fact of God is in the part of the truth that you don't know. I mean, who knows everything there is to know in this world? Nobody. Who knows half of everything there is to know? Nobody. Who knows 10% of all there is to know? Nobody. There's a lot of facts in this world to know. No one even knows 10%. So for my friend, let's say he, owes, he knows 10% of all there is to know, and that would make him a genius. Perhaps the truth about God that he doesn't know is in the 90% of facts that he doesn't know. So why would he be confined to the 10% of truth he does have and not think there might be another truth outside his knowledge that he might need to go after and look for? What was that verse? Seek and you will find. He wasn't seeking. He wasn't knocking, so the door wasn't opened. Right? They've got to seek. And he, he might be ready. He might be knocking on their hearts. He might have been using me to push him through the door. But he didn't, want to, he didn't want to go. God's not going to force him. He said, I'm right here. I'm using Michael to push you to the door. Will you knock? If you just knock, I'll open and you can come on in. But he didn't want it. Anyway. Any questions or comments? Any stories to share? Any lessons learned? Pray for our children. Pray for our grandchildren. Be specific. Teaching the kids today, blind Bartimaeus, he's yelling, Jesus, help me. And they tell him, be quiet, man, be quiet. He said, I don't know, I'm not going to be quiet. Jesus, help me. And then Jesus said, hey, 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 bring that man to me. And they brought him to him. And uh, he's like, Jesus, 
Please help me. And what's his name? Blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus said, well, what would you like me to do for you? Are you kidding? Like Jesus didn't know he was blind and wanted to be healed. But he says, I want you to be specific. Tell me. And he says, uh, that I may have my sight. He goes, huh, you got it. Your faith has made you well. Of course God knew what he wanted, but he wants you to be specific when you ask. Pray for your children. Pray for your, your jobs. Pray for your family. Pray for this church. Pray for the ministries. Pray for all the things that God cares about. Why would he not want to give those to you? Let's ask. And then show up in faith and do our part expecting him to deliver. Right? Amen? Amen. All right. Brian, you close us in prayer?